Let's turn in God's Word to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. And looking here, verses 24 to 28. Matthew 10, verses 24 to 28. And uh, before we read God's Word, let's pray. Our gracious Father, now we come to Your Word and we're thankful again for how You speak to us. Grant us the great grace to speak to us and reveal Yourself to us. And You have not removed Your Word from us. And so grant now our hearing the softening of our hearts, recept, uh, give us receptive hearts that are receive Your Word in faith, trusting You and submitting to You in all things. And give us the courage, the boldness, the zeal for the Gospel and let us not be ashamed of it to witness and testify the good news to all our neighbors. For Christ's sake. And we do pray that you would humble your servant who now speaks. And we pray that you would grant him the the tongue of a ready writer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 10, verse 24. These are God's words. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And those are God's words. End of chapter 9, we heard the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few, and the Lord Jesus is... uh, Uh, has called these disciples, these apostles, the twelve apostles, to be sent forth to be His laborers into the fields that are white for harvest. And so He's instructing them before He sends them out. He's preparing them. And the application is very similar to us. uh, But, you know, we're all not going to go out and preach. Uh, We have not been called. There is only a few here who have been called to preach. Uh, But you're all called. Every single one of us is called to declare the works of God to the nations. The psalmist teaches us that. And right before, uh, uh, but uh, excuse me, a a few uh, being not called to preach, you're called to testify the gospel. You're called to bear witness of the good news. And in testifying that, you're testifying of the work of the Son, how God sent His Son and His 
Uh, He sent His Son so that He would save His people from their sins as He died on the cross and through His death and resurrection. And there's much to be warned about as you are sent out by Christ, as the apostles are sent out by Christ, and we too, as we are going out from here. Uh, Of course, there is your duty to be godly for Christ, to live a godly life, uh, filled with good works that He has predestined and uh, predestined unto, for you to walk in, right? Ephesians 1 teaches. You are called to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're called to put to death uh, your sins and to mortify it, Romans 8, and to plead and work by God's grace under your own sanctification. But what is your duty towards your neighbor? It is to love, right? The great duty, the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor. And if you were on the path to hell because of your own sins, uh, would you want your neighbor to tell you the truth? Of course you would. Right? And He teaches us, love your neighbor as yourself. And so just as you would love your neighbor, and you see here, by necessity, that requires you to tell the truth to your neighbor, the good news of Jesus Christ to your neighbor, to do good towards those around you, that is. My friend, to do good to souls in this world is very hard. That's what Jesus is warning about here. He's equipping them to be ready for it to be hard as they go out. We're hearing in this chapter that Jesus is not hiding the challenges of being a Christian. He's obviously not hiding... Uh, the challenges of being an apostle or a minister of the gospel. But if you at all at all seek the good, the to be to show charity and love to your neighbor, to do good to the souls of this world, you will find very soon how hard it is. For you need a lot of courage, zeal, boldness, faith, patience, and perseverance. Why is it so hard? It's it's so hard because we have an adversary. Satan. That's one reason it's hard. One, Satan who will fight vigorously to maintain his kingdom. His kingdom. To keep his children as His. And, and secondly, we, we know human nature. As we've considered, wicked, evil, totally depraved, sinful. And so in this world, uh, as we consider what Jesus has already talked about and what He's talking about here, for His apostles to be sent out into that world to proclaim the Gospel... It's very easy for the world, in the world, to, to do harm. Very easy. To do good is very hard. And Jesus knew this uh, all too well. And He's sending out His disciples here for the first time. He knew what was before them. Of course, because He's the God-man, He knew exactly what was before them. He also knew what experiences they'd have. <laughs> And they're going 
Their doing good would be difficult. Their speaking the truth would be hard. Trying, it will be trying. It will be a test of their souls. And how much more difficult would it be if he, if he did not reveal these things to them? And so he took care out of his love for his children, his apostles, these apostles, and us as his disciples centuries and millennia later, to tell them, to give them the encouragements they needed in order to give them joy when they felt cast down and attacked and abused. And there's three main directions in our passage that Jesus gave His disciples to give to those apostles, to give them encouragement and thus to give us encouragement today as we go out and testify the good news to the world. The first direction, the first point this morning, you'll be treated no differently. You'll be treated no differently. Verse 24, it says, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. If you're following in the shoes of your teacher, your leader, do you think that the things that you experience will be a whole lot different than the experiences that your teacher has experienced and will experience? The answer is no, they're not going to be that much different, if at all. They're going to be very similar. The apostles could expect, and you could expect, a very similar life as your master. Why? It says the disciple is not above his master. But first, if Jesus Himself is going around and telling the truth to the multitudes as He's been doing, we've been seeing that. And He's obviously the Master here, the disciples. By necessity, they have to go around and tell the truth as well. And you all, and we must all do it too. If He calls them to repentance and faith, then that's something that we must do as we go out into the world and we meet our neighbors. Because a disciple is not above his master. He's not above his teacher. Remember a disciple, kids? A disciple is a student. Like all of you are, children. You're All of you are disciples. All of you are students. The youngest here to the oldest of the children even. You're all students. You're all learning. Whether it's in school, here in church and worship, and uh, learning all the commandments of God because you've been baptized. And right, it's the Great Commission. You're a disciple. You're learning. If you're if you're learning something, you're a disciple. And a disciple is not above his master. The teacher. Who's your teacher? If you're the learner, if you're the student, who's the teacher? It's Jesus. He's the master. He's the Lord. But this is a reason why you should not hesitate to perform their their duties. They should not uh, hesitate to do their duties. Even the lowest type of duties, the things that many don't want to do. Well, if the teacher and master is doing those duties, then they should not hesitate to do it either. We should not either. John 13 says similarly, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And here are the apostles. They are being sent out by 
the sender, the great administrator of the covenant of grace, Jesus Christ. And so when these men go out to minister following after Christ, their master being sent out by Him, their Lord hears... He's giving them a reason why they should not stumble at the hardest sufferings that they will experience. Listen uh, even to what Jesus and how Jesus later applies this in John 15. He says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would have the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So you put it this way. Our Master, Jesus Christ, is greater than all. Better than all. And we Christians are His servants. We should then expect something. Why why should we expect to fare better than our Master? Have you thought of that? If you are a servant uh, and Christ is your Lord, He's your Master, put it a slightly different way so we understand even... Uh, what's being said here, because these are similar words in, in the original language. If you're a slave, and your master is Jesus, why do you think things would be better for you than for your master? Compared to your master. They won't be better for you. Comparatively. And Jesus uses this as an illustration. Why? Because all of you, don't you? All of you think... You'd like to think, I believe, right? I think things were worse for Christ. He suffered, He died, He was crucified on the cross. And life is going to be comparative to, compared to Him pretty easy. And Jesus is saying, you should not expect that. You should not expect that. If you're a faithful Christian, you should not expect to have a way easier life compared to His as He was on the earth. Now, we're not going to have the full unmitigated wrath poured out of God poured out upon us. Praise God. But He's saying it's going to be similar. It's going to be hard. If you're faithful, life will be hard. Verse 24, again, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his own of his household? Right? Jesus is our, our master, our teaching master. We are his disciples, we're learning from him. He's our ruling master, our king, our lord, and we are his servants to obey him in all things. He is the master of the house, verse 25. He has unlimited and ultimate authority and power in the church as head of the church, which is His family, the one body of Christ. If Jesus is not revered, if He is not revered, then do you think the disciples will be respected? No. 
And so if the enemy, the unbeliever, the world, the sinner, if he treats the disciple and the servant with the same disdain which he has for the superior Master, Lord, Jesus Christ, then be satisfied. Be satisfied. For you will be treated no differently than your King and Lord Jesus Christ. That's His promise. It was Jesus who when He came to earth to bring blessing upon the world, to speak the truth to sinners, to, that they would be saved by Him, that He was slandered. He was rejected by those same people He came to bring good to. There was no error in His teaching. There was no defect in His method of imparting the truth. And yet many hated Him. They called Him, who is the master of the house, Verse 25, they called him Beelzebub, the god of the flies, the name of the chief of the devils, Beelzebub. They thought he was Satan and part of his kingdom. And on and on with their attacks upon Christ that we have looked at previously. You might even wonder what we should really stand in awe of concerning how wicked the wicked were to Christ in abusing Him? Or should it be how patient Christ was for our sakes in being abused by them? Who suffered Himself to be abused, that He who is the God of all glory should be named, even considered alongside the God of flies. Beelzebub. This is the King of kings. The King of Israel. Considered the God of of the Philistines, for whoso it is named. It's 2 Kings 1, the God of Ekron. The Prince of Light and Life, named by the wicked as the Prince of the Powers of Death and Darkness. That Satan's great enemy and destroyer should be run down as his friend and ally, or equal, and yet endure such suffering For the sake of those sinners who crucified Him. That we did. We crucified Him. And so Christ drank unto the dregs, bottom of the barrel. The very bottom with its sediments drank the very bitter cup of God's wrath so that we might be free from slavery to and bondage to the devil and sin. And rather have the gift of eternal life in Him. He suffered patiently unto death for our sakes. He came to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Few believed Him. Few cared about what He said. That's what we're learning as we're going through Matthew. As you go through John's gospel, you go through the gospels, you see few cared about Him. Few cared about what He said. He perfectly taught. There's no defect in His method of teaching or in His teaching. And they crucified Him. Surely then, friends, we have no right to be surprised then in whose best efforts, our own best efforts being mingled with sin and corruption in our teaching. And uh, corruption even in how we, the method of our teaching or the method of our bearing testimony. There is error. There is sin. There is sinful desire. Sinful affections. There's sinful uh, things we say. And it ought not to be as it's mingled with imperfection. 
It ought not to be surprised that we're treated in the same way as Christ. When He was perfect in His teaching. Perfect in His speaking the truth in love. And yet He suffered and died. And so if we leave the world alone, it will probably leave us alone. Not necessarily, but it probably would. But if we try to do spiritual good and speak the truth, even... Lord willing, in love, each one of us to our neighbors, for love for them, for their hearts, their souls, and their bodies, this world will hate us as it did our Master. So you'll be treated no differently. Do you believe? Do you believe the good news of Jesus Christ? How strong is your faith? Because you'll be treated no differently if you live a life of faith following Christ. That's His promise. Do you believe? Maybe you're saying, I don't want to believe at all. You don't? You understand that if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that you'll end up just like the devil will, cast into the lake of fire forever. And yeah, you won't suffer and be persecuted here on this earth for a small time, but after that, hell forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ offers you freely today to come unto Him and have blessing in life forevermore. Turn from your sins then and turn in faith, bowing the knee to Christ who suffered and died on the cross for all your sins if you believe in Him. And so come believing. Jesus thankfully calls you to remembrance if you have believed on Him. Though eternity will be full of blessing, this life now will bring much hardship. You'll be hated for my sake when you speak the truth. The second point, you must look to the judgment. You must look to the judgment. Verse 26, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear that preach ye upon the housetops. Now remember, this is the, the first century that Christ is exhorting His disciples with this, and this first means that the Gospel, the Gospel though it has been uh, for thousands of years veiled in many ways in the Old Testament, and up until that time, that this Gospel will be revealed to the whole world. That's what He's saying here. And these verses, and you apostles are the first ones, really, to take it in its full measure, with much more of a fullest expression of that gospel, starting here with Israel to the Jews. Verse 27, very clearly, it will be published to the world. The truths now which are mysteries hid from the children of men shall all be made known to all nations of all languages. Alright, Acts 2, as the, uh, the Holy Spirit came, it says, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They who had different languages, normally who could not understand each other, were able to understand each other. And the things of God. The ends of the earth must see this salvation. So we 
We must take it. The apostles are first sent out. And we too must take it and speak the truth. It's a great encouragement to ministers and to all of us as we evangelize personally that the work of telling all peoples the gospel will certainly be done. Because that's what Jesus promises here, that it will be done. And in other places. But a second application of this passage, friends, don't think that because you suffer, because there are trials and tribulations, that that means automatically that you're in sin or being unfaithful. It might mean that. It might also mean that you're being faithful. And so that's, but that's exactly what the modern church uh, wants you to think and would tell you that if you're suffering, you're in sin. Automatically. And you hear that even often from ministers, sadly. Now when you go through trials and tribulations, it may be because you are in sin. We know that from other Scriptures. But so you're to do what? Just like 1 Corinthians, as we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, we are to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith. Examine ourselves if we're in any sin, if we've committed any sin that we need to repent of and turn back to the Lord. Because He disciplines His people. Hebrews 12, right? Or Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12. He disciplines His people because He loves them. And He wants to sanctify them because they're in sin. So it might be because you're in sin. But friends, when you are being faithful, after you've examined, you've determined, yes, I've been faithful. You go to your elders. Elders, do you believe I've been faithful? If you have been faithful and you're testifying the good news of Jesus Christ and there comes suffering because of it, here is Jesus clearing up the fact for you that you're innocent. Even though the suffering servants of Christ are called Beelzebub, essentially called, you're of Satan. As Christ was. Sometimes even by those in the church. But though you may have, or though you may through much slander and hatred and suffering be marred, your character attacked, Jesus promises that that which might be covered, it will be revealed. All will come to light. The truth will be fully exposed. He's talking about the final judgment. That judgment goes both ways. Not only for the faithful saints who may seem to be unrighteous and wicked before the world as because, uh, because they're suffering and their character attacked, just as Christ was. But this goes to those who are wicked but are seeming to prosper. And it seems like everything they're doing is going well. All will be revealed for what it truly is. Nothing shall be hidden anymore. Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, you must be content in the present world to be misunderstood, misrepresented, vilified, slandered, and abused just like Christ was. None of these things should lead to your ceasing the work that Christ has put you on earth to do. Just because your motives are mistaken or you're slandered about those motives, your characters fiercely attacked and you're maligned, 
None of that ceases. Remember, friends, continually that all will be made right on the last day. The secrets of all men's hearts will be revealed. Psalm 37, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Psalm 37 as a whole, if we kept reading, is this passage. There's a lot of this passage. The purity of your intentions, the wisdom of your labors, the righteousness of your cause shall at length be made known to all the world. And so friends work diligently and quietly. The world might not understand us, may viciously oppose us, but the day of judgment draws near every day. One day closer to that day of judgment when all will be revealed and be made right. And Lord Jesus, when He comes, He says, He said this, 1 Corinthians 4, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. And so look to that time, friends. Look to that time. Here's what he said to the the apostles a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. And so, friends, you must look to the judgment. When all things will be made right in encouragement for you, though you are in the midst maybe of great trials and sufferings, or when that time comes, and even abuses and testifyings for the gospel, remember what Jesus said in John 15. He said, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. To cover it, that is. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father... Even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And he also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And so what a great comfort. He's talking about persecution and being hated for Christ's sake. As he reveals sin, the law to them. But the great comfort here is you'll have the Spirit. And you do have the Spirit, Christian, today. And great power to bear witness of the gospel. You're not alone. Right? Reveal the truth. He says to the apostle who went out, reveal the truth. What ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And so Christ's ministers, let them faithfully reveal His truths today. And then leave it to Him. And in due time, He will reveal their integrity. So don't stop serving Christ. Even if you're not a minister, you're a Christian, don't stop serving Christ by serving the Gospel to your neighbor, testifying of it. Because 
even though you might be attacked, your name drugged through the mud, Jesus is saying all will be made right at the right time. At the judgment. And then the final point, the third thing, you must fear God. Verse 28, you must fear God. Verse 28, it says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It is a high calling, a Christian duty, and in your best interest to not fear your greatest adversaries. I'll say that again. It is a Christian duty to not fear your greatest adversaries. Very simply, just as he says in verse 28, man can hurt the body. Some of you have felt that before. Probably all of you have felt that before. Satan, he doesn't talk about this here, but Satan can hurt your body. Every enemy you have can only, only, only hurt your body. That's where the enmity, the hostility, stops. It ceases there. Christ Himself crucified in His body. He died and rose from the dead. They can go no further than the body. And you say, the body? That, that's my body. Suffering hurts. Pain hurts if the body is afflicted. Yes. Imagine those who were faithful and burned at the stake. Imagine Christ crucified. You don't have to imagine it. It happened. The apostles, many, as we just read, uh, Paul said, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. They were appointed to death. They all died. And many were crucified themselves. And that means suffocating to death. Jesus comes and He he calls you to tell you that they can kill the body. But they cannot touch your soul. It is God alone who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It is only the Lord who is sovereign over the soul. And He's sovereign over the body too. He holds your soul, Christian, in His hands. Psalm 121. He keeps your soul. And so this gets to the very heart of the matter. We may be threatened with the loss of character. That's hard. Loss of property. All that makes life enjoyable. That is... And can be lost if we go in the path following Christ. That's true. But they can't take your soul. They can't destroy your soul. We must live like Daniel. That we would rather undergo all pains of body and all threats to our lives than remain faithful to the Lord. We must never displease our God, the Lord. Why? Because it says, Fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body. And hell. And yet for you and and me, ministers of the gospel, 
The fear of man is an easy temptation to fall into. Because we desire so much that people like us. That we get their approval. Or that our name, our character, who we are is upheld. And not dragged through the mud. We would do anything. Some of us would do anything to keep our good character before our enemies. But the truth is, they can't touch your soul. God can. And so the question that we have to ask is, if He can touch both body and soul, and as He is, we've learned before, He is sovereign over body and soul, completely in authority over body and soul. Your body and soul. Would you displease Him then? Sin against Him who can destroy soul and body forever? So friends, pray. Watch Him pray lest you be tempted. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Think of that if that happened It's hard to imagine that. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Yeah, but they can hurt my body. God is sovereign over your body. He took... Satan came to attack Job's body. He has, we might say, the most power of all creatures. We might could say that. And he came for Job's body. And God said, this far and no further. God's sovereign over body and soul. So trust the Lord. Stand in awe of Him and fear Him because He is good. He's good. And you have a good reason not to fear men and all your enemies. Romans 8. He reminds us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, which is to death to to the body, right? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You might struggle with fear of men. But there is a great remedy for you that Jesus gives you in this passage. Fear God. Fear Him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is our God. 2 Thessalonians 1. 
in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. The destruction of sinners and the wicked is by the power of God in judgment. And Romans 9, What if God willing to show His wrath to make known His power, to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? It's by His power that He executes judgment upon the wicked unto uh, destruction forever. So know the terrors of the Lord. Stand in awe of them. Of His mighty power and holiness and justice. Have you ever stood, some of you have, in the midst of a great storm, right? Great thunder, lightning, tornadoes. Remember, if you remember, I was pastor in Mississippi, and you might have heard of the tornado that went through Yazoo City, Mississippi. We were 20 minutes from there. And we're in the, the manse or the parsonage, which has no basement. My thinking is, we're going to die if there's a tornado going through our house. (laughs) And Dean and Oliver were in our bathtub, and I went and stood outside. Just the sheer power of God. And that's nothing compared to His power. What it could be. Stand in awe of Him. Because to be on the other side and receive His wrath, Psalm 90, who knoweth the power of thine anger, even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Stand in awe of God. Fear Him. And it is, as you fear God more and more, as we see not only His great power and destruction and judgment and His wrath, but as we see His goodness even to sinners, and we stand in awe of Him, of His wonders, how merciful He is. That's part of the fear of God. And so as you see and you Know intimately, know the fear of God more and more. His power at work and keeping your soul. If He can destroy earth, and as He will, heaven and earth, with a word. And how much power He has to keep your soul. That this will be the sovereign cure against the fear of men. It is better to fall under the frowns of all the world than under God's frowns, as one theologian said. And therefore, as it is most right in itself, so it is most safe for us to obey God rather than men. Isaiah 51 says, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the Son of Man which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy Maker, that has stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and has feared continually every day 
because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy? And where is the fury of the oppressor? It's nothing in the sight of God. In the context of God, it's nothing. The anger of man may be very hard to bear, but the anger of God is infinitely greater. Harder. The fear of man only brings a trap. And if you step into that trap, you're stepping on your way down into the depths of hell. So fear God. Because we have to make it give way to the explosive power of a stronger principle, the fear of God. And so there is one who said, I fear God and therefore there is none else that I need fear. And that should be true of all of us. You'll be treated no differently than Christ. And so look to the judgment and fear the Lord. What a, what a great comfort knowing it's the Lord who keeps our souls even by His almighty power. That He is sovereign over our bodies completely. And so even when Satan comes to attack, he will not let one hair of yours be damaged unless he has ordained it and that for his good purpose and for your good. For His glory. But He keeps body and soul for all who turn to Him in faith. And there's a day coming. That is the judgment. The final judgment. That's talked about here in verses 25 to 27. You will be judged. All of us will be judged. But it's best that you find yourself judged in union with Jesus Christ according to His righteousness and not your own. Because you have faith in Him to be judged than to be judged on your own account of your own sin and your own righteousness, which is, even as we heard similar language in Lamentations, menstrual rags, dirty and unclean. And so turn today by faith to Christ. Trust in Him and His sacrifice for you and His death and His life. And those who turn to Him and follow Him, He says here, He promises you will suffer. He promises that other places too. Your heirs will be persecuted. You'll be maligned. You'll be attacked. You'll be slandered. And so keep looking to Him. Fear the Lord, knowing that He is all-powerful to keep you, even as you go through the great pain, bloodshed, whatever it might be, you go through it. He'll bring you all the way to glory. Home. To be with Him. And remember, that's what He prays for. John 17, He prays that we would be with Him and His Father. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know Jesus Christ? And what is your duty in this life? It is to serve Jesus Christ by declaring all His works to all the nations. And we are here in service to the King of the Kingdom. That's the message of Matthew. We're here in service to the King who has an eternal Kingdom. And He said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated Me before it hated you. 
If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank You for being our sovereign Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ in which You show how greatly You are to be feared in Christ. As He died on the cross, there mixed together Your infinite, eternal, unchangeable love and righteousness and justice and holiness and truth and goodness, all there. And how dreadful a picture it is of our sin on Christ. But also how much we stand in awe of Your love for us there. For it is by His sacrifice that we are granted life in Christ, Your Son. And so cause us to have that fear of God, that reverence and awe of a God so powerful, infinite powerful, and yet infinitely good and in love with us, who loves the bride, His bride, the church. Grant us that fear, knowing we are kept forever. In Jesus' name, amen.